Macroeconomist Felix Zuloff, who did a whole bunch of interviews about a month ago, was calling it the roller coaster decade, 2020s. And you get the sense, at least I do, and maybe I'm alone on this, but I kind of feel like where we are right now is kind of at the top of the roller coaster and we're about to go down. It feels like quite a run we've had in the first month of the year here. And on what? I'm not sure what's changed. I guess there's just a sense that there is, you know, inflation is going to be reduced and that it's going to be a soft landing. But then you look at the price of oil. I mean, oil is at $81.86 for West Texas Intermediate. Brent crude is at $88.39. I mean, you look at copper here. Copper is at $4.24. To me, from a commodity price perspective, is inflation going to come down with these high, you know, silver's at $23.75, gold is at $1,936. So it just makes you wonder. And, you know, again, I was mentioning the McClellan Oscillator a week or two ago, Tom McClellan, who has made some astonishing calls, I'd say November 2021 calling the top there. And then he made another incredible call with this stronger than expected rally in January. And it sounds like he is saying we're going to potentially top out a little bit here. So it kind of made me think of Felix Zulauf with the, you know, roller coaster decade as, you know, describing a decade that would have its ups and downs and that basically this whole idea that as an investor you're going to be passively waiting on the sidelines to collect your 7% a year isn't going to work in the way it might have in the previous decade. In other words, that you're going to have to kind of buy and sell as the roller coaster goes up and down. Now, of course, this is not financial advice and you don't come to the Northern Miner podcast for financial advice, but we are deeply embedded in the world of finance here, dealing with the metals. So hello and welcome, everyone, to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and I thought this episode we could take a look at Alcoa. We have a few stories on aluminum. They just came out with their earnings, and I think it's just kind of, again, I think it fits beautifully into what I was just talking about here, which is where are we in the global economy? Where are we with commodities? Where are we with industrial metals? You know, Aluminum is kind of a is one of those massive, you know, core industries. And so taking a close-up look of what Alcoa is up to seems well worth our while. I've provided you the highlights from the earnings call that was just a few days ago. Not even a week ago, it took place, I believe it was January 18th, so last Wednesday. And so it was quite interesting too. Sounds like the year started out great, but then Remember Javier Bloss and the World for Sale and how he was in that book, he was describing aluminum being described by traders as congealed electricity because it takes so much power to make aluminum. And that's kind of what you hear in this call, particularly with the refineries that are in Europe, interestingly. And I believe we were looking at stories in the last few months about how refineries in Europe, particularly in Spain, had to shut down. Now, it sounds like they found alternatives. Interestingly, wind power from the sounds of it. And you wonder if there are subsidies involved there too. Like there's probably incentive, and I don't know this, but I just imagine European governments would put incentive or the EU commission would put incentives for someone like Alcoa to use what might be seen as sustainable or green power. So all very interesting. We're going to take a look at that, uh, the ambiguity and uncertainty around China, inflation, all of that comes into play in this mosaic of information that comprises our daily news intake. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be really interesting and informative. And of course, we have some incredible stories going on around the world here. I mean, people are stealing in Japan Thieves were stealing platinum and palladium out of EVs. I mean, there's an unintended consequence you never thought of. And also, I mean, you look in Peru, there's been some major protests going on where Glencore is kind of battening down the hatches. So it's a pretty interesting environment. I mean, it seems like it's anything but benign and soft landing-ish, shall we say. It really seems like wishful thinking. 
while it looked bullish a few weeks ago, you know, just from a personal point of view, and what do I know, you know, but from a personal point of view, I'm extremely bearish. And when you look at crypto, Bitcoin is often kind of seen as a leading indicator of the entire market being the most speculative of all assets, one could argue, or one of the most speculative. You know, technicians are talking about this $23,000 range, and it keeps just hitting its head against $23,000, and then it'll poke up, but just briefly, you know, no confirmation or anything. Let's just get a quick 22974 I mean, that's where we are. So all very interesting. Again, none of this is financial advice, and I do not have the qualifications. I am just a longtime observer of financial news and love it. So finally, we've looked at oil. We've looked at the markets a little bit. Let's just look at the bond market. Let's look at the 10-year bond before we move on here, just very quickly, just to tie the bow a little bit. Yeah, U.S. 10-year bond is at 3.497%. And last week, we were at 3.54. So interesting. Is the bond market, as the yields go lower and demands increase for treasuries, is that signaling that things might not be as good as the stock market thinks? So it continues to be interesting out here. Now, before we get to the news, just a quick mention here of the Global Mining Symposium. We have the Q1 Mining and Investment Virtual Conference taking place on February 22nd and 23rd, 2023. Just go to events.northernminer.com to register your interest. It features Luca Giacovazzi, CEO of Wailu Metals, which should be fascinating, all things considered, with Wailu being in the news an uh, enormous amount last year and everything that's going on in Northern Ontario from a Canadian and even a global perspective, this should be a fascinating interview. And also we have Chris Kennedy, Director of Water at Tech Resources. And, you know, water is one of those subjects that kind of gets underplayed in the mining discourse. And I think it's awesome that they are headlining Chris Kennedy here because water, when you talk to the people in the know, is kind of one of the biggest environmental issues that miners have with the amount of water that is used in uh, in mining operations. I mean, I think it was Peter Maroney who mentioned that in an interview a couple of years ago. I remember him saying, you know, water is the big, you know, undiscussed issue in the mining industry. And so that also should be fascinating. That is coming up in a month. So just go to events.northernminer.com to register your interest. And if you want to become a sponsor on that conference, just click on the Become a Sponsor button there at events.northernminer.com. With that, if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts. And wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we're going to start with Alcoa just as a preview of the earnings call highlights, which I've gathered here for you today. Alcoa drops as shipment seen stagnating on shaky demand. This is Bloomberg News via mining.com. And it says Alcoa Corp's aluminum shipments will be weaker than anticipated this year amid ongoing uncertainties caused by global inflation dwindling demand in Europe, and a soft economic outlook in China, the world's biggest consumer. The largest aluminum producer expects to ship between 2.5 million and 2.6 million metric tons of the lightweight metal this year, Alcoa said Wednesday in its fourth quarter earnings report. That's on par with last year's guidance, though short of the 2.65 million tons average estimate of analysts surveyed by Bloomberg. Shares fell 4.4% to $51.10 in post-market trading in New York. Aluminum prices dropped more than 15% last year as demand for automobiles, appliances, and window frames dwindled in the face of surging global inflation and a slowdown in consumer consumption. Well, I mean, I was listening to interviews on car experts. I mean, the amount of car costs these days is totally out of kilter with many people's budgets. I mean, it's getting pretty wild uh, what people are wanting to charge for things here. And we have a quote from CEO Roy Harvey, who we'll hear later in this show. And he said in a statement, quote, last year, global turbulence negatively influenced costs for energy and raw materials, 
and we saw significant variance on product pricing between the first and second halves of 2022. We are taking actions to further improve. Now, remember Alcoa was also trying to convince the LME, the London Metals Exchange, to ban Russian metals? And you wonder how much that, you know, their own situation factored in. Probably a lot. I'm probably stating the obvious here, but it is interesting to think of that story in the context of the earnings call. And we have a column from Reuters, courtesy of mining.com, power problems rein in global aluminum output growth. So remember, congealed electricity, as it's called in the aluminum industry sometimes, global aluminum production rose by a marginal 2% last year, a rate of growth that was down from 2.7% in 2021 and slowest since 2019, according to the International Aluminum Institute. Output barely rose at all over the second half of the year. Annualized production of 69 million tons in December was just 231,000 tons higher than June's global run rate. Now, this is interesting. So 69 million tons is the annual output. And Alcoa was saying that they expect to ship between 2.5 and 2.6 million metric tons. So if we do the math, so they only provide like 5% of the market. That's kind of surprising. Europe's energy crisis has taken a heavy toll on a notoriously power-hungry sector. Regional production fell by 12.5% last year, a major factor behind the 0.9% decline in output outside of China. China, the world's dominant producer of primary aluminum, registered 4% output growth for the second consecutive year, but it too has been grappling with power problems most recently in the hydro-rich provinces of Yunnan and Sichuan. The country's annualized production peaked in August 2022 at 41.46 million tons, since when run rates have fallen by 600,000 tons. Aluminum's energy paradox is coming into ever sharper focus. Production of a metal that is critical for building a greener power system is itself increasingly vulnerable to fluctuating power availability. And it's interesting, there's a chart here, and you see global aluminum production is 10% higher in Latin America, 4% higher in China, 3% higher in the Gulf, 2% higher in Asia, non-China, Africa up 2%, and then down, all in the West, down 1.5% in Eastern Europe, down 2.4% in Oceania, down 3.5% in North America, and down a whopping 12.5% in Western Europe. Finally here, Europe powers down. Western European aluminum output was running at an annualized 2.73 million tons in December, down by 540,000 tons on December 2021, and the lowest production rate this century. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the resulting surge in power prices caused multiple smelter closures and curtailments last year. Europe's energy crunch has now passed its peak. German baseload power for 2024 delivery has fallen from 470 euros per megawatt hour to a current 189. Some European aluminum capacity is returning. The Dunkirk plant, one of the region's largest with a capacity of 285,000 tons per year, is reversing the 20% cuts made in the fourth quarter of 2022. For some though, it's probably too late. Slovakia's sole smelter with a capacity of 175,000 tons per year has closed all primary operations after 70 years of operation. The Podgorica smelter in Montenegro closed the last 60,000 tons of primary capacity at the end of 2021. Interestingly, both plants are counted in the IAI's Eastern Europe and Russia category. So too are smelters in Romania and Slovenia, both of which have drastically curtailed operations over the last year. Yet regional production was down by only 1.4% last year, a counterintuitive outcome unless the closures were offset by higher output in Russia. This is possible given Russell was planning to fire up its new Taishet plant last year, although there has been no recent updates on the 428,000 ton per year project. Interesting, it seems like Reuters is a little mystified. The reporter at Reuters is a little mystified by the numbers coming out of the International Aluminum Institute. So it would seem, I mean, maybe you have a different interpretation. And finally, we have a story here. It's just a one sentence. Global aluminum output rises 6.1% year on year in December. So in the month of December, we have a 6.1% increase in production. And that is according to the International Aluminum Institute as well. So very interesting. So output is increasing. 
Turning to other stories, Congo president demands more from $6.2 billion China metals deal. So we are paying very close attention to what's going on in Africa right now with resources. Bloomberg News via mining.com. Democratic Republic of Congo President Felix Chisekedi criticized a $6.2 billion mineral for infrastructure contract with China, saying the world's largest producer of a key battery metal hasn't benefited from the deal. Now, we've been hearing sounds out of the DRC for a few weeks now. So here is another. And, you know, it kind of, you know how Saudi Arabia came out and said, you know, we're not pro-US, we're not pro-China, we are pro-Saudi Arabia, something to that effect. That is the impression I'm getting out of the DRC as well, because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they were criticizing you know, the West earlier. Now it's kind of a criticism to China, and I don't think it should be seen as anti-China or anti-West. I think it's just seen like the Saudi Arabia issue as pro-DRC. Congo, Africa's second largest nation by landmass, is flush with natural resources, including copper and cobalt that are major components in electric vehicles, but remains one of the world's least developed countries. Most of its minerals ended up in China, which signed a landmark deal with Chishsekedi's predecessor in 2008 to trade roads and buildings for the two metals. And we have a quote from Chi Sekedi, quote, the Chinese, they've made a lot of money and made a lot of profit from this contract. And he said this in an interview at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, quote, now our need is simply to rebalance things in a way that it becomes win-win. The contract renegotiation is part of a campaign by the president to ensure the country gets paid for the full value of its resources, which are increasingly in high demand. And interestingly, scrolling down a bit, Congo's government says China has released less than a third of the infrastructure funds. Quote, we're very happy to be friends with the Chinese, but the contract was badly drawn up, very badly. Today, the DRC has derived no benefit from it. There's nothing tangible, no positive impact, I'd say, for our population. The Chinese embassy in Congo and the Chinese ambassador didn't immediately respond to an email and a text message requesting comment on the negotiations, which have gone on for more than a year. Xi Sekedi continues, quote, you know, the Chinese are the champions of marathon discussions. They're known worldwide for it. We're undergoing this experience now, and so we'll see. But we remain optimistic. Sounds like he's run out of patience, actually, is what this sounds like to me. Negotiations are also dragging on over the Grand Inga site with Australia's Fortescue Metals, which have an MOU with Congo to develop what could be the world's largest hydropower project, Chi Sekedi said. And he's talking about Fortescue. Quote, we're not on the same wavelength, he said, adding that he'd met at Davos with Andrew Forrest, Fortescue's billionaire chairman. Chishsekedi said, quote, we want to make it kind of opportunity to also unite other interests, particularly African interests. We're open to everything, to all discussions, to all meetings. Sounds like Africa, or at least the DRC, is getting pretty fed up with people coming in and taking their resources, doesn't it, on the cheap. I mean, this is becoming a growing refrain that we're hearing, and they're taking their message to Davos, interestingly. So continuing on, uh, just a headline here, UK activates coal reserve to boost supply during cold snap. It's Bloomberg News via mining.com. Just a couple of paragraphs here. The UK's grid operator asked three coal-fired power plant units to be ready to generate on Monday as it boosts electricity supplies during a cold snap. It would be the first time this winter National Grid uses the reserve. The units are also warming up and will be ready to generate electricity early Monday if needed. Demand is set to surge during a f spell of freezing weather in the UK just as wind speeds drop, curbing supply. So this is one of the big criticisms of solar and wind is that they are not constant. And this sounds like a real-world situation where that is the case. This is interesting as well. It will also use a new tool that pays homes to reduce consumption between 5 and 6 p.m. Monday when forecasts show margins will be tighter than normal. The so-called demand flexibility service was tested during a cold spell in December. Quote, this does not mean electricity supplies are at risk and people should not be worried, National Grid said on Twitter. These are precautionary measures. Wow, so interesting. Now, continuing on, Japanese thieves target Prius hybrids 
for platinum and palladium. This is Bloomberg News via Mining.com. Toyota Motor Corp's Prius hybrids are being targeted by thieves in Japan for components containing scarce metals that jumped in value following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There were 173 thefts of mufflers or catalytic converters in Chiba Prefecture last year, 16 times more than in 2021, according to local police. About 90% of those were from Priuses, they said. Thefts of catalytic converters, exhaust emission control devices that reduce pollution, have risen across the world over the last few years in tandem with increases in the price of platinum and palladium that are contained in them. Older Prius models contain more of those metals than many other cars, making them a prime target. Well, this is pretty sophisticated thievery, isn't it? And moving over to South America, Glencore halts operations in Peru due to violent protests. And this is by Valentina Ruiz Leotode on the northernminer.com. Following an attack on January 20th that set on fire a worker housing area, Glencore announced that it has halted operations at the Antepeque copper mine in southern Peru. In a media statement, the company said that the incidents endangered the safety of its employees and therefore authorities should start taking action to safeguard people's integrity and private property rights. According to the Swiss miner, a group of citizens from Espinar province where Antepeque is located arrived at the site at noon on Friday and demanded that operations be stopped and that the firm issue a communique asking for the resignation of Peruvian president Dina Boluarte. Sounds like they're getting caught in the middle of a political conflict. Then some of the people forced their entry into different mine facilities, stole workers' belongings, and set the housing area on fire. Two and a half hours later, the protesters left the site. And we have a quote from a press release. The emergency and security teams are working to guarantee the safety of the employees that remain in the operation, as well as to extinguish the fires. So far, no injuries have been reported. And we have another headline, Violent Demonstrations, Royal Peru's Southern Copper and Tourism Heartland. It's Bloomberg News via Mining.com. The focus of Peru's violent unrest shifted back to the impoverished rural south after mass demonstrations in Lima last week failed to unseat the fragile government of President Dina Boluarte. The nation's transport regulator reported dozens of highway blockades as of Monday morning, many of them near the southern border with Bolivia. The copper-rich south of Peru is the heartland of the country's mining industry as well as its tourism sector. On Saturday, the Ministry of Culture closed Peru's best-known tourist attraction, the Machu Picchu Archaeological Site, until further notice. Could you imagine traveling all the way to Machu Picchu and it was closed down? Well, I guess worse things are going on, though. The crisis sparked by the December 7th impeachment of President Pedro Castillo after he tried to dissolve Congress has claimed the lives of 54 civilians and one policeman as of Sunday, according to the Public Ombudsman Office. So a little bit of turmoil in Peru. And also, uh, we have Henry Lazenby reporting from the Association of Mineral Exploration Roundup Conference. And he's got a couple of big stories here. Trudopian policy drives mining investment away, says Polivier. So the opposition leader, Conservative Party leader Pierre Polivier, delivered some remarks that were heavily critical on the government in the context of the mining industry. Quote, miners today face permitting delays ranging from 5 to 25 years, according to official government information. Higher taxes increase red tape and government obstacles that drive production down and pollution up. Canada ranks sixth in the world for lithium reserves, according to Polivier. Quote, and the last two years on record, we did not produce a tablespoon of lithium here in Canada, even while production has exploded worldwide. And he continues, we have the third largest reserves of oil anywhere on earth, but we're still importing 130,000 barrels of oil from overseas every single day, supporting foreign dictators and sending our money to them when we could be keeping it here. I tell you, this resource argument is powerful. Okay, like why is Canada importing oil? It's a very simple question. And there may be good reasons for it, but it doesn't lessen the efficacy of arguments like that. Uh, BC mineral exploration expenditures hit a record in 2022, according to Premier David Eby in British Columbia, also by Henry Lazenby at the Northern Miner. And it says here, BC-focused mineral explorers set a new spending record in 2022, hitting $740 million, according to the Premier of British Columbia, David Eby, on Monday. So $740 million surpasses the previous record a decade ago of $681 million and $660 million in 2021. 
The rise was underpinned by an 84% increase in copper exploration budgets, with the province's so-called Golden Triangle in the Northwest capturing the bulk of the attention. So you can read all the reporting by Henry Lazenby at northernminer.com. It is comprehensive. And final headline here, Yamana Gold founder says chatter points to more industry M&A. This is Bloomberg News via mining.com. It sounds like Peter Maroney, founder of Yamana Gold, is saying that M&A is in the pipeline. Quote, I'm a bit jaded because I've been talking about the need for consolidation for 19 years, but I do think we'll finally begin to see some of it happening soon. I hear lots of chatter out there about other pending transactions. So those are your news stories. Now, let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on January 24th, gold is trading at $1,937 even. That is $25 higher than last week. Silver has not come along for the ride. It's at $23.65 per ounce. That is $0.43 lower than last week. We just saw that disparity very recently as well. Uh, So gold, you know, for the second time in a few weeks here is going up while silver has not come along for the ride. Continuing on, platinum is at $1,052.16 per ounce. That is $12 lower than last week. And palladium is trading at $1,714.02 per ounce. That is $37 lower than last week. Turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading six cents higher at $4.19 per pound. Aluminum is three cents higher at $1.17 per pound. Lead is three cents lower at 97 cents per pound. Nickel is at $13 even. That is 67 cents higher than last week. Tin is at $13.28 per pound. That is 34 cents higher than last week. Cobalt is unchanged at $21.92 per pound, and zinc is six cents higher at $1.56 per pound. Zooming out, it feels to me, again, as my introductory comments were saying, like a nice move in gold, it's come a long way. I mean, it came all the way down from 1648 on the weekly prices we record here, and it's basically gone you know, stair-stepped its way up to 1937. It feels like a big move to me. And all of the industrial metals, I mean, copper at $4.19. It seems like the markets are pricing in a soft landing here and basically, you know, a fairly benign environment. And, you know, it really comes back down to this idea that we need to reach the quote-unquote puke point you know, and that after arguably the everything bubble, sometimes called the biggest bubble of all time, is this how it ends? And then we simply resume the bull market. If we are in a bear market, it seems to me that we need to reach a puke point. And it just doesn't feel like we've reached there yet, which would suggest that this would be a bear market rally. Now, who knows? Again, not financial advice. And frankly, I don't have the training uh, for any of that. So just ruminations from someone that reads the news and nothing more and nothing less. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Roy Harvey, Chief Executive Officer of Alcoa, for their Q4 2022 conference call, which took place on January 18th, 2023. Harvey explains how high energy costs, as well as China's closure due to zero COVID policy and weak European demand, all combined to create a, quote, challenging year for the company. Harvey expects results for 2023 to depend largely on China's reopening, as the country is the world's largest consumer of aluminum. I think it's just important for us to understand what is happening in this crucial, some people say strategic, 
metal right now and the markets that accompany it. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. fourth quarter and full year results that we released today, we returned $572 million in capital to our stockholders through buybacks and dividend payments in 2022. We continue to be well positioned with a strong balance sheet, ending the year with $1.4 billion in cash and proportional net debt of $1.2 billion. In 2022, we also progressed strategic restarts of capacity and worked to mitigate the impact of high energy costs. That said, it was a challenging year. World events influenced costs for raw materials and energy. Our markets saw significant variances in pricing between the first half of the year and the second half, demonstrating once again why we are so focused on reducing complexity and continuing our improvement initiatives. As we progress through this year, we will continue to act to drive operational and commercial excellence, disciplined execution, and rigorous cost management. Before we get into more details, though, I want to emphasize, as always, our most important priority, safety. We strive to protect the safety and health of those who work at our facilities or visit them. In 2022, we did not have any workplace fatalities. This, however, is not an achievement. It is simply an expectation. And we always have areas where we can and will improve. We recognize that maintaining a fatality-free workplace requires constant vigilance to identify and eliminate critical risks. In fact, every employee at Alcoa has the authority and my permission to stop a job and seek help if they are unsure if it's safe to proceed. There's never any production goal that will take priority over safety. Now, on to our financial results. In the fourth quarter, we had a net loss of $374 million and $29 million in adjusted EBITDA. For full year 2022, we had a net loss of $102 million and adjusted EBITDA of $2.2 billion. It is clear from our fourth quarter results that we are confronting a challenging market and operational situation. And we are taking action to be sure that we are firmly focused on driving improvements across our operations and company. Now, turning to some operational highlights. Last year, we advanced several restarts that will bring economic value to the business. We also acted swiftly to reduce production capacity when and where conditions warranted. Last month, we completed the safe restart at our Portland Aluminum Joint Venture Smelter in the state of Victoria in Australia. And we continued to advance the restart at the Alumar Smelter in Brazil. To mitigate the rising costs of gas and electricity, we reduced output at the San Ciprian Alumina Refinery in Spain and curtailed one-third of production at our Lista Aluminum Smelter in Norway. Separately, over these last couple weeks, we adjusted production at the smallest of our three refineries in Western Australia due to natural gas shortages that continue to persist in the region. We have a strong foundation across this company with the know-how and expertise to drive continued improvement. We are ready to address short-term challenges while remaining focused on our future, one where aluminum will become even more important as the world works to decarbonize. As we progress into the year, it's also worth reinforcing the work we are doing on our ESG objectives. Alcoa has a clear purpose and a vision that guides our actions and decision-making. We are producing and delivering products that support our customers' own sustainability ambitions, and we are creating shared value for our communities and our other stakeholders. Just recently, in fact, we were once again named a top-tier industry producer by the Dow Jones Sustainability Indices. We also continue to pursue growth opportunities via projects that can creep our production, and we're excited about the progressing development of our transformative technologies, which align fully with our vision to reinvent the aluminum industry for a sustainable future. Next, I'd like to provide some brief commentary about the current global market environment for alumina and aluminum in 2022. Even given the clear change in pricing from first to second half of 2022, these markets were balanced or even in a slight deficit across the year. But differently than we have seen in previous cycles, the cost for raw materials have remained stubbornly high throughout the year, 
And it is only here in the beginning of 2023 where we are starting to see some minor relief in market pricing. In fact, we saw some of our highest ever costs for raw materials in the second half. All direct materials increased in price since the end of 2021, driven by multiple raw material supply disruptions that have kept market balances tight. In Illumina, we saw a 39% increase in the market price for caustic soda in the fourth quarter of 2022, compared to the same period in 2021. Caustic soda is used in the digesters in our refineries. In aluminum, we saw more than a 70% increase for the market price of pitch and a nearly 30% increase for coke compared to the fourth quarter of 2021. Both products are used to make anodes for our smelters. Meanwhile, recent smelter curtailments announced across the U.S. and Europe have only marginally influenced calcined coke prices. We have, however, mitigated supply chain disruptions by maintaining an agile and diversified global sourcing portfolio which also closely manages our inventories to avoid market-driven supply disruptions. As far as global supply demand balances, the market for alumina was mostly balanced in 2022, and in aluminum, the global market was in a deficit, including in China and the rest of the world. China has continued to enforce its 45 million metric tons smelting cap, and we saw approximately 2.5 million annualized metric tons of smelting capacity curtailed in the country in 2022 due to power constraints in southern provinces. And we enter 2023 with the likely constructive impacts of a loosened COVID policy in China and the increased application of stimulus measures in China and globally. Next, let's spend a bit more time on what we're currently seeing in aluminum over a longer time horizon. We continue to see evidence that supports our positive view on aluminum. Although 2022 was an unusual year with global events influencing energy and raw material costs, we remain bullish on the long-term fundamentals for aluminum. Even in a challenging market like what we saw during the second half of last year, there was continued evidence of the growth of aluminum demand for the future. Let me illustrate this point with two of aluminum's end-use markets, transportation and packaging. Since Alcoa became an independent company in 2016, these two sectors have experienced significant growth rates. First, the share of electric and hybrid vehicles is on a solid trajectory to experience nearly a seven-fold growth rate in a six-year period by 2023. These vehicles contain more aluminum in their construction versus traditional internal combustion engine vehicles. Electric vehicles, for example, contain approximately 40% more aluminum. Several recent reports from industry analysts have reported on this strong growth for EVs, which is occurring even faster than some had earlier predicted. And key auto manufacturers, such as BMW and Ford, have taken significant steps to increase their mix of battery electric vehicles relative to their total output. At the same time, China, the largest automobile market in the world, saw one of the largest year-over-year -year increases in 2022 electric vehicle production, with 6.9 million units confirmed. Current estimates would add an additional 2.1 million new electric vehicles to be produced in China in 2023, bringing that total to 9 million units on an annual basis. The transition to these vehicles is also supported by several major countries and regions that have announced bans on new internal combustion car sales in the years between 2030 and 2040, including the UK, France, and Canada. The second market to watch is packaging, which is expected to see a 41% growth rate in aluminum can stock consumption between 2016 and 2023. For Alcoa, Packaging was one of our best-performing markets in 2022 in Europe and North America. Also, more beverage products are using aluminum, such as alcoholic seltzers and sparkling waters, due to the metal's lightweight, infinite recyclability, and ability to chill beverages quickly. While these markets are meant to be examples, they support continued strength in aluminum demand in the long term. Now, let's move to the right-hand portion of the slide. Given the importance of Chinese capacity growth over the last decade, one of the most influential factors for this next decade will be China's self-imposed 45 million metric ton cap. We see continued policy decisions and actions in China 
further supporting this capacity cap. Any increase in that ceiling would hinder the country's well-publicized goals for energy efficiency and decarbonization. While we expect an increase in operating capacity of roughly 1 million tons of metal in 2023 compared to last year, these are added capacities that either transfer existing operating permits from plants that will be shuttered or have outstanding permits complying with the Chinese cap. We've also recently seen China's actions to limit exports of primary aluminum through increased export tariffs on commodity-grade aluminum in 2023, supporting the reality of the country's capacity cap. One final point to make on this slide. With the drop in global stocks over the last six years, inventories in 2023 are expected to remain near historically low levels of 49 days of consumption. The 10-year average has been 77 days, and stood at 70 days of global inventories in 2016, the year we launched as a standalone company. Relative to annual consumption, the projected stock levels in 2023 could be insufficient if we see a rebound from current demand growth figures in China or the rest of the world. This adds support to both the short and long-term outlook for aluminum. While there continues to be significant uncertainties about the global economy in 2023, we continue to expect another year that will remain in relative balance for aluminum. And even more importantly, the underlying fundamentals continue to remain very favorable for aluminum in the long term. Now, let's talk specifically about some of the important actions Alcoa completed in 2022 to advance our strategy while also addressing the challenges of a volatile market. First, we worked to offset negative margins market impacts at some of our locations, including the high costs of energy in Europe, which skyrocketed after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We partially curtailed two facilities, adjusting our production rate at the San Cebrián Alumina refinery in Spain due to high costs of natural gas, and we curtailed one of three pot lines at Lista in Norway, our smallest aluminum smelter, due to high electricity costs. In July of last year, we curtailed one pot line at Warwick Operations due to workforce shortages in the region and increasing instability, and we've continued to maintain that partial curtailment as we focus on safe and consistent production from the site's two operating pot lines. Also, we are continuing to work toward the planned restart of the San Cebrián smelter, and we've now signed two power purchase agreements for wind-based electricity although permitting will need to be approved by the regional and national Spanish governments before construction can begin. As I mentioned at the top of our call, we also maintained a strong balance sheet, which is essential, especially at a time when there's still a lot of unpredictability in the world. We reduced our pension liabilities in 2022 by completing a $1 billion transfer of liabilities and related assets to a highly rated insurance company for certain U.S. retirees and their beneficiaries. Our strong financial position also enabled us to make dividend payments and share repurchases while achieving an investment grade rating on our debt and improving our revolving credit facility, which remains untapped. We made significant strides in growing the business as well at locations on four continents through capacity restarts and creep projects. In Australia, we safely completed the restart of additional capacity at Portland Aluminum in the state of Victoria. In Europe, we announced a capital project now underway to increase capacity at Mujin in Norway by a creep project. In South America, we progressed with our Alumar restart in Brazil, which is powered 100% by hydropower and will capitalize on the integration with the co-located refinery. In North America, our Deschambeau smelter is working to increase its casting capacity to add standard size ingots to meet increasing demand for foundry alloys in smaller formats. With all these actions, we continue to advance sustainably, both in supplying customers with low-carbon products and advancing our breakthrough technologies. In 2022, we continue to see a significant increase in year-over-year -year demand for our Equalum low-carbon aluminum, which is part of our Sustaina brand. Sustaina is the most extensive suite of low-carbon products in the aluminum industry. While still a relatively small portion of our overall sales volume, we saw increased margins in deliveries of Ecolume in 2022. Our sales of Ecolume, in fact, grew more than four times over 2021, driven mostly by the European market. Two examples of customers looking to us for this low-carbon metal were Spira, a global aluminum rolling and recycling company, 
and Hellenic Cables, a large cable producer in Europe with key markets in renewable energy transmission and distribution. We also maintained and increased certifications with the Aluminum Stewardship Initiative, our industry's most comprehensive third-party validation of responsible production. We had two additional sites certified to ASI's standards in 2022, bringing our total number of sites to 17. We can also market and sell ASI-certified bauxite, alumina, and aluminum to customers globally. Finally, we made progress on our roadmap of breakthrough technologies. This includes work to decarbonize the alumina refining process through our Refinery of the Future initiative, which has support from the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Also, our Ellis's joint venture furthered its work to commercialize the carbon-free smelting process first developed at Alcoa's Technical Center. The actions we took in 2022 helped us prepare for the year ahead. As we start this new year, we are laser-focused on further improvement. We will drive operational excellence and rigorous cost management to meet today's challenges while working to promote future growth. We are developing opportunities to create growth via improved margins as a producer of low-carbon products, and our breakthrough technologies provide opportunities that can set us apart from others in the industry. The news that we announced last week regarding our restructured executive leadership team will drive continued focus on our priorities. We have teams across Alcoa that have a proven ability to execute, and we intend to deliver. In operations, we are actively managing the issues we face in Western Australia as it relates to ore supply, as Bill mentioned in his portion of the presentation. While the annual mine approvals are taking longer than in prior iterations, we are adjusting our Huntley mine plan to extend mining operations already permitted under our existing approvals. We continue to work collaboratively with regulators to address this matter. Meanwhile, we are focused on improving our overall system processes to drive stability and performance across our facilities. We continue to review our operating capacity to address short-term market challenges and promote operational excellence. This includes monitoring the energy situation that prompted our decision to curtail some production at our Lista smelter and the San Ciprian refinery, and the most recent impacts from gas shortages that led to a 30% reduction in output at the Quinana refinery in Western Australia. And we continue to progress the restart of the Alumar smelter and prepare for the future restart of the San Ciprian smelter, per our agreement with the workers there. We've worked hard over these past several years to improve our company's financial position, and we are intent on maintaining that rigor as we further sharpen our focus on costs. We will continue our work to maintain a strong balance sheet, which includes considering more opportunities to reduce the risks from pension liabilities as the market allows. While we focus on the immediate needs for success for 2023, we are also keeping our future programs firmly in focus. Our R&D programs are fundamental for our long-term growth strategy and our vision to reinvent the aluminum industry. Our breakthrough technologies include the Ellis's Joint Venture, our Astrea Scrap Purification Process, and the Refinery of the Future Initiative. Our strategy and technology roadmap are tightly linked, and continued innovation will be vital. Today, we offer the industry's most comprehensive portfolio of low-carbon products, and we are focused on delivering to our customers products that can help them and us reach sustainability goals. We've seen year-over-year -year growth in both margins and volumes for our sustain line, and we intend to continue this growth. And we see this developing low-carbon market as the key to building this critical demand as our Ellis's joint venture continues to progress towards production at industrial scale. Due to work across our company, we are well-positioned as a supplier of choice, especially in a world that is working to further reduce greenhouse gases. We have a global refining system with the industry's lowest carbon dioxide intensity, and a significant portion of our smelting portfolio is powered by renewable energy. Underpinning all of our initiatives, we remain committed to being a responsible and reliable producer, working cooperatively with our communities to bring shared value. We also have clear mid- and long-term sustainability goals, and we will continue to make progress against those targets. Finally. I have just a few points I'd like to summarize before we take questions. First, our industry was a case study in contrasts in 2022. The first half of the year was very strong with high pricing that more than offset high raw material costs. 
but world events negatively influenced our markets in the back half of the year. That helped emphasize once again why we operate with an intense focus on cost and delivering consistent operational excellence while we continue to work on projects that can drive future growth. Next, we know the world has experienced unexpected and disruptive volatility. Still, producers everywhere are facing increased demands and assurances of responsible production. Alcoa is quick to adapt, and we will not simply wait for a market recovery. Alcoans know how to do the hard work, including managing both the short and long-term opportunities ahead. And finally, we took action in 2022, and we will continue to improve and operate as a sustainable, low-cost producer while we work on our vision to reinvent the aluminum industry. The world is working to decarbonize, and that provide us an opportunity. We know the long-term fundamentals for our industry are strong. Aluminum is the material of choice, and Alcoa is the company to deliver the products our customers are demanding. So there you have it. I mean, a bit of a mixed bag from Roy Harvey, isn't it? It sounds like, you know, if China and the world economy really does have this soft landing, that we could have a deficit of aluminum. Otherwise, we expect it to be more or less balanced, but we could hit a deficit. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that program. Don't forget to go to events.northernminer.com to register for the Q1 Global Mining Symposium. And if you want to help out the podcast, you can leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.